this. Uh, this is this is what we're going to do today. Um, you know, as I it's been about a year being with you guys, which has just been good. And um, what I'm going to do today, kind of this final time with you here in 2020 or 2019, excuse me, uh, is I'm just going to wrap up the book of uh, Philippians with you. So um, it's, this is going to be a different kind of a message. Um, if you would turn your Bible to the book of Philippians, chapter we're in chapter three, verse twelve. So since Kind of bring my time with you guys to a close. I didn't want to just preach five, six more verses of Philippians and leave you hanging. I wanted to complete the book so we felt like we went through it. So, quick review. Uh, we started with this a little over a year ago. We were in Acts chapter 16. We saw that the Apostle Paul felt the call from God to take the gospel over to Macedonia, to the city of Philippi. Paul goes to the city of Philippi and he begins a friendship, a relationship with three different um, a connection with three different people, proclaims the gospel to these three different people, and their life was forever changed. Uh, Lydia, the wealthy Asian businesswoman, uh, then you had the slave girl from a very different class of society in Philippi, and then you had the blue-collar Roman jailer. Three very different people, their lives were transformed, they formed the first church in the city of Philippi. And now Paul, writing from a jail cell in Rome, writes a letter to the Philippian church to encourage them and equip them in their young faith in Jesus. And what we'll do today is just finish out the letter, and I'll, I'll read this in sections. You can follow along with me, and I'll talk about it. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, remember the argument Paul has started building in chapter 3. is He started talking a little bit more about his own story and his old way of life, and who where he used to find his identity in terms of meaning and purpose in life, and how that has now radically changed as he's met Jesus, as he's better understood the depth of his sin, and what a great savior he has, and how he's come to really understand this foundational core idea of grace, this undeserved love of God, that we don't earn it, we just receive it. So chapter 3, verse 12, um, just look at it with me. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and streaming forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. We'll just try to give you guys a thought or so on each paragraph. Uh, what, what he's saying, the key thing there is verse 13. He's saying there's one thing I do. He, I forget what lies behind. And so he's saying my whole old way of life. I used to find my meaning and my purpose in being an Israelite, in all of my achievements, in my righteous record, in my performance. That used to be what I based my life on. There's one thing I do now. I forget all that. I forget all that, and I'm, I'm a new man now, changed by Jesus. I strain forward to what lies ahead. So a good thing for you to think about this December, as 2019 comes to a close, is there something you need to forget and leave behind? Uh, is there something that's been gnawing at you? Uh, maybe it's a sin of yours, maybe it's some circumstances, maybe it's something bad that someone did to you, and it's, you've just been kind of hanging on to it, and it's been occupying too much space in your brain, or you've been kind of basing your identity in it. Uh, maybe there's something today you need to kind of leave behind, so leave it on the pew here. Put it down on the ground, kick it to the side, leave it behind, and start straining forward to what lies ahead. Uh, all that Jesus has for you uh, as you live the rest of today, the rest of this month, and as you head into a new year. Verse 17. 
brothers, and notice Paul's always using this family language when he talks to the church, brothers, sisters. We really are brother and sister with, with one another. Uh, Elder Jerry really is my brother in Christ, right? We, we really have that in church. Praise the Lord. Uh, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. He's saying, church, and this is a big, he's saying, church, remember, imitate me. Now, that's a big, you have to think about that, if you're able to say that to other people in your life, imitate me. This doesn't mean Paul's perfect, but he's saying, I am living a life of increasing um, maturity in the Lord, and I, I want you to imitate me and imitate my way of life. And that's really what we ought to be living as disciples of Jesus. We ought to be able to say to people who are younger in their faith than us, hey, imitate me. I'm not perfect. I'm saved by grace alone. But imitate me. This grace is transforming me, and I want you to watch my way of life. And the core thing he's talking about here in his way of life is that he finds his main citizenship is his place of where he's orienting his whole way of thinking life, it's not, it's not there on earth. It's, it's not in Philippi, it's in heaven. Because our citizenship's in heaven. So he's got this eternal perspective on life and ministry. Because, you know, some people are enemies of the cross of Christ, but mine is set on earthly things. It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to think about earthly things. Oh my gosh, we have to. We need to. That's important. But he's saying his fundamental way of looking at life is a heavenly and eternal perspective. And he's calling the believers to imitate that. And that's part of why Paul could have so much joy as he's in a Roman prison cell. Because his, his identity is not in how much work do they get done today, what's going on in my bank account, how comfortable am I. It's on this eternal heavenly perspective for life and what really matters. Hey, look at this. We're in chapter 4. How do we get there? Here we are. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, so again, Paul's always building an argument. Whenever you're reading the epistles, notice that there's, there's logic at work here. He's saying, in light of everything I've said in these first three chapters, here's what I want to say to you now. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat, now this is interesting, these next two verses. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche, these are two women in the church, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. We're not quite sure the identity of this true companion. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We don't know what's going on there, but evidently there's some sort of conflict in the church in Philippi between these two women. There's something going on. And he's saying, um, I want these two women to, to, to work it out. I want them to agree in the Lord. I want them to reconcile. I want them to come together. That's just classic church life. There's always stuff going on in church life. There's always a, someone with hurt feeling. There's always someone sinning. There's always some kind of tension. There's always some kind of disagreement. That's kind of always going on. So um, don't be surprised when it's happening in, in church. Church is full of imperfect people. So he's saying, I want these two women to, to figure it out and, and, and to work it out. So, you know, an application for, for us today might be, is there, is there anyone in the church where you've kind of got an issue with them? Yeah, I don't know what it is, but some kind of a thing. See if there's something you could do today to kind of make it right. Move towards that person. Um, 
apologize or bring an issue you, you've got to talk about the, the grievance and um, work it out that would, that would honor the Lord to close out the year uh, seeking to make right any relationships that are kind of kind of sour and that would be good not just for you and not just for the other party but that would be good for the entire church now verse 4 oh, we love this verse in Philippians I love it rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I was looking forward to preaching you know, a whole sermon on, on those verses. Meditate on those verses. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 should be um, a paragraph of Scripture that you maybe know by heart and that you really make a deep part of your life. It would be great to write these verses down, print them out, um, read them again and again. It might be good to, to read these throughout the whole month of, of December. Uh, Paul, again, who's not in comfortable circumstances at the time, he's in a prison cell in Rome. Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord. Not, does he say rejoice in the Lord when life is going great? Rejoice in the Lord when You've accomplished everything on your to-do list. Rejoice in the Lord when you got great grades. Rejoice in the Lord when work is going well. Rejoice in the Lord when all your circumstances are great. That's not what he says. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Like always, every day, no matter what's going on, we have reason to rejoice in the Lord. And he gives us this really strong command, um, kind of shocking command, that Jesus gives us the same command, verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Isn't it easy to think, okay, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff I'll choose to not be anxious about, but I'm going to hang on to these two, three, four things that really provoke a lot of kind of fear and anxiety in me, and I'm going to, it's okay for me to be anxious about those. I've got a couple of those in my life right now. There's one thing related to our church right now that I feel a lot of anxiety about, and I kind of can feel justified in anxiety. Well, it's a big deal, so I should be anxious about it. And Paul is saying, don't be anxious about anything. The logic here is um, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Don't be anxious, but pray, but pray about it. Turn your worries into prayer. Turn your anxiety into prayer. When you feel anxiety about something today, this week, that, that's a trigger in you to transform that anxiety into a prayer request. So he says, make your request known to God. Now, God already knows that we're anxious about those things. God already knows our needs. But there's something about the relationship where God wants us to transform these anxieties into a prayer request. He wants us to present them to him in prayer to see what he's going to do with what he's going to do with them. So in this Advent season, in this Christmas season, um, think about what Paul is saying. You know, it would be good to just meditate on these four verses a little bit. Think about what Paul's saying about how we have reason to rejoice in the Lord always. The Lord's at hand, the Lord's near. And we're told to not be anxious by anything, but to, to turn our worries into prayer. And then we're going to experience peace. Verse 7, you see the conclusion of that? That as we do that, we'll experience a peace that surpasses understanding. A peace that guards our hearts and our minds. This is really an invitation to a, a counter-cultural freedom. You know, and I wish I could say I lived these verses really well. I don't know that I do, but I want to, get, I want to grow in them every, every year. Um, chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, he's kind of this classic preacher. He's saying finally like he's ending his letter, but he's not done yet. You can see we have more to go. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul's basically telling us how to, how to think there. He's saying, you know, so many things can occupy our minds, so many things can be distracting, uh, especially in our culture today, our digital culture, our minds can be consumed with our screens and things that we're seeing there. Our mind can be consumed with what Paul just referenced, anxiety. Our mind can be consumed with our problems. Paul's saying, I want you to set, set your framework of your mind, set your meditation, and what you ought to be thinking about is what's true, what's honorable, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely. Have your mind focused on, on those things. It doesn't mean that we don't live in reality and that we don't live in a simple world or um, that we are aware of all those things. We see those things, but we're setting our meditation to think about what um, would give us the most peace and give God the most glory. Verse 10. Uh, now he's kind of talking about his story a little bit more, sort of what's happened since he last saw the Philippian church. Remember, he established the church and then he left them to go plant other churches. Um, he says this. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Uh, not that I am speaking of being in need, but I have, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul's referencing how the Philippian church is most recently, they've, they've kind of helped him. They've sent some people his way, some encouragement his way, probably some money and provision his way. Uh, he's saying, you know, now I'm in a situation where you guys just kind of help me out. Uh, and he goes, but you know what, guys? I, I've kind of discovered this freedom where whether I'm doing, whether my circumstances are really good, and I have plenty of food to eat, and I'm warm, and I'm clothing, or whether I'm actually in great need, I've, I've been able to find contentment when I have a lot and when I have little. And, and here's the secret. There's a secret to my contentment, to my contentment, to my deep happiness. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes you'll see this verse, oftentimes you'll see this verse, Philippians 4.13, taken out of context, right? This is a verse you see on coffee mugs or refrigerator magnets or maybe on a t-shirt like a, a, for a football team or like a bodybuilder. Like, and people think this means like being a football team or I can bench press 500 pounds or I can do this huge accomplishment or whatever. What this means is whatever circumstances you find yourself in life, uh, Jesus is going to be there. Jesus is going to meet you in those places. And he'll love you and he'll be with you and he'll help you. It doesn't mean anything you set your mind to accomplish. It means any difficult situation um, you find yourself in in life, Jesus will be there and he'll be with you. And you can get through it. And you can survive it. And you can even find contentment in it. So, again, another thing to, I'm giving you sort of a lot to reflect on um, here at the end of the year. But that's another thing to think about and share is, um, have you begun to discover the secret of contentment? Would people describe you as a content person? That doesn't mean that you don't have ambition or longing for, for more. That's God wants that. Paul certainly had that. He wanted to take the gospel to new places. He wanted his life to have a greater impact. But it means where you find yourself today, you can say, hey, I'm content. In Jesus. Verse 14, he's getting back to what's kind of happened between him and the church. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. 
And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, that's kind of this region where Philippi is, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he's saying, as I came over to the region of Macedonia and planted this church in Philippi and started planting more churches, you were the only church who really became a partner with me. You're the only church who stayed in a relationship with me, financially gave and supported to the efforts I was doing, only you. Even in Thessalonica, that's where the first and second Thessalonians is written to. That's the next series I'm going to be doing with my church starting in January. I'm going to preach through first Thessalonians. I'm looking forward to it. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Um, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So what he's saying is, you church looked really great. You're the only church that helped me. And he goes, I'm not trying to emphasize the gift that you gave me, but I know what this means for you and your maturity and the fruitfulness of you giving and supporting me. I know that's a great sign that you are a church that's growing and maturing in the Lord, that you cared about me in that way. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, Epaphroditus was the messenger, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's a great verse for me to just like think about. Um, and then I just would throw out to you as a church, 419. A great verse for you to rest in as a church. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God's rich. Okay? God's rich. He, he has all the total riches and resources. He has all the riches and all the resources, um, all the provision that you need. And, and you can rest in that home of Christ church. And he'll supply every need of yours as you look to him. And then we have these final uh, three verses. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. We've gone over that. Uh, saints means holy ones. It's the word used for Christians in the early church. The brothers who are with me greet you. There's these, other, there's these other Christians. Remember, Paul told us earlier in Philippians that um, a number of people in Rome heard of Paul's imprisonment and they got saved and became Christians. So he's talking about these brothers who are with me now. Uh, other guards, other prisoners, they're Christians in the city of Rome. He's saying they, they send their greetings to you. They've never met you, but they send their greetings to you. They're, they're, they're excited to hear about what's going on with you. And the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Though, so again, especially these Christians that have come into Caesar's household and been saved. And then the final words he gives to them, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He, he wants his final word to the church to be, hey, the grace of Jesus. Remember, we've defined grace. Grace is the undeserved love of God. That's the only way to have a relationship with God is to receive his grace. To recognize that you cannot earn his love or earn his favor through your performance, uh, through your record, through, through anything that you do, the only way to have a relationship with the living God is through His Son, Jesus, whose love for us is pure grace, pure undeserved love. Because I want this grace, this undeserved love, to be with your spirit and to be at the, at the core of your church. So, um, I think one of the things uh, we ought to we see through the series of the book of Acts and the book of Philippians is the Bible, man. The Bible is so so rich. That's one of the final words which I'll give you. Just be, be a church where um, Charles Spurgeon used to say, um, you know, if you prick this person and they bleed, their blood is biblical. They're so soaked in the Bible. 
Would you would you be a church that's just so soaked in the Bible and the living word of God? And we've just spent a few minutes reading the very end of Philippians here, if you're so rich. Uh, we you, you spend the whole rest of your life meditating on Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And you'll never master it. There's always more ways to mature and more ways to grow. So much, so much life for us in that. So uh, thank you, Home of Christ Church. It's been great uh, having this journey with you through Acts, through um, Philippians. And uh, I have the same words to you that, that Paul has to the Philippian church. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, Spirit. Father, thank you for this time in the book of Philippians, this time together today. I pray that your grace would be with me and be with home of Christ Church as we seek to follow you and make disciples and glorify you here in the Bay Area. We pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen.